it's late and thank you for hanging around. Uh, thank you Farfetch for having me here today. Uh, yeah, it's a nice change to Lisbon from cold Berlin. Uh, so yeah, so today I'm going to talk about my product, product management journey, right? And it's a story of three continents. It's a story of how, how we sort of building product in different locations changes and what challenges we can face. Uh, I'm hoping it will be an interesting story for all of you today. So yeah, my professional background, very quickly, eBay in San Jose, Silicon Valley, back in those days, uh, and then hypergrowth, crazy market growth in, in a company called Flipkart. How many have heard of Flipkart? Okay, so many have not heard of Flipkart. So simple words, uh, Walmart just bought them for 12 billion, so yeah, you'll hear more about them soon. And of course, uh, my current company is Zalando uh, in Berlin, and of course now we have an awesome office in Lisbon. Uh, and my personal background, uh, yeah, like I said, I live in Berlin. I moved here about two years ago uh, to join Zalando, and this is my very comfortable-looking golden retriever, Goldie. Uh, this is the life, right? So this is what I'm envious of. Um, so yeah, so like I said, let's start with the stories, right? I know the first story here on the left is about, it's about David and Goliath, right? You can see I'm a sort of a dog person now, but... Um, it's about David and Goliath, it's about the small guy versus the big guy. The only difference here is that eBay was the big guy, so there's a story there. Uh, the second story is about uh, India and, and the hyper growth that we saw. This is a very typical mall, and this is how people shop, and how online has completely changed that, right? And the last one, of course, is, is Zalando, uh, and the partner program or the marketplace business that, that I'm heading for product, and of course, one of our biggest partners, Adidas, right there with the box, right? So we'll walk into these stories very quickly. So yeah, the story one is about David versus Goliath. People know David and Goliath, you know, the, the small guy should always win against the big guy, you know, and that's, yeah, not this time, I was hoping, but yeah, here's the story, right? So back in 2010, a uh, long time ago, in internet years, the story was about uh, eBay France, right? And eBay France at that time was one of the leading marketplaces in, in Europe and in France, of course, market leader. And we started losing market share to this very strong local com competitor from the classifieds business. So imagine you are a big, you are a big company. We were sitting comfortably in San Jose and we were unable to respond quickly to this threat, right? And now we've all seen this before. You're up against a global, you're a global giant up against a local competitor. How do you win, right? Uh, we realized before you knew it, in, within a matter of six months, that business model was unraveling. We were losing revenue to a very simple model. Try before you buy. Uh, localized, right? Uh, uh, people are familiar with the classifieds business, right? It's like Craigslist, right? So list for free, you go, it's local, it's, it's close to your place, you can go check it out, and it's free. Essentially, you guys just complete the transaction and no one gets paid, right? And that was a problem for eBay. We were losing money. Uh, and they quickly captured market share in France, right? And network effects, right? Which is the, the literally the way marketplaces work, right? So you have more buyers coming from more sellers, and because there are more sellers, there are more buyers, and you start building this, uh, this virtuous cycle, as we call it, in marketplaces. And this was happening really fast, right? And when this happens to marketplaces, they actually unwind very quickly, or they can win very quickly. So what did we do, right? We had to figure out how we're gonna beat these people, right? Uh, now remember, in a global company, you have lots of priorities. You know, I'm sure uh, Farfetch is a big company as well, right? Many priorities, everyone wants to build their own things, but how do you prioritize, how do you solve this, right? And we solved it in a very simple way, right? We said, 
forget all this prioritization, right? Forget all of these conversations. This is time for action. So how do we get into action? And we started to figure out rapid business prototyping. Now, it's interesting I use rapid business prototyping and not product prototyping because it's not only, only about the product, right? It's about tech, which is product and engineering, figuring out a new user experience. It's about the business model, right? Overnight, the business model has changed. No one is paying transaction fees anymore. It's free, right? How are you going to make money, right? And then marketing. How do you drive traffic to a new experience, which your users are used to for a long time to a very different experience, but now you want to build a completely different, uh, how do you drive traffic, essentially, marketing, right? Um, we had to reinvent the consumer experience, right? Right from the listing experience to, to the transaction, how it occurs, how does the user site look like, and this reinvention was not easy, right? Uh, we had to iterate, we had to move fast, and we had to actually deliver in a very short time span, right? And we, and we always, always, and this is something that has stuck, stuck me forever, is about playing to your strengths, right? Um, yes, we were losing market share, but we had a huge eBay customer base, right? So never forget your customer base, don't forget where your strengths are, right? So, and, and we figured out sort of an interesting way of how to cross-pollinate this, right? So this screen, this is very dated. This is 20, long time ago, uh, before mobile was super hot. But um, yeah, so eBay France literally went from a simple-looking site to an overnight sort of, we call it, I had to learn a little bit of French to make this work, but uh, they call this the classifies experience. If you see that from a global experience where it was all virtual commerce to very local, region-wise, classified sort of free experiences. And we had to mix and match these two, right? This is the traditional eBay with the classifieds model intermixed and intermingled. And how do you cross-pollinate traffic? So this was sort of a very interesting experience for us. The good news is that we eventually won, right, that, that battle. Uh, but really, the lessons were hard, right? For us was don't be afraid. Uh, who was really afraid was the business owner for France, right? Poor guy. Uh, but yeah, we faced the competition head on. So how do you think of it doesn't matter how big or small you are. I think competition exists. How do you sort of just don't be afraid and reinvent models, right? We had to reinvent the business model, and we had no other reference to do it. So no, don't be afraid. Uh, play to your strengths. Um, it's hard to sort of think about it when you are sort of fighting someone uh, who's playing a completely different game, right? Uh, and you can get caught up in trying to play the same game. Sometimes you lose, right? Um, and eBay, we had our strengths, and sort of we really leveraged it well, right? Um, team morale. Uh, this is interesting. I, I put it in there because I feel like we don't celebrate the little wins, right? When you're in the middle of a battle, everyone wants to win the next game, the next game, the next game, and and you don't realize that there's a team of people here who are working hard, who are trying to make things happen, and so we celebrated the little wins, right? We made sure that this team is developing and performing and sort of d delivering, right? And yeah, we proved uh, business prototyping works, right? So. In though it was it was never a question of only product changing the game. It was always about product, business, and marketing, sort of coming together and sort of building this. Uh, so yeah, these are sort of some of the lessons we learned uh, in Europe, actually, eBay France. Uh, so yeah, this is my first story. <laughs> Any questions so far? Uh, going too fast, too slow? Yeah, Everyone awake? All good. Um, yeah, the story too actually begins in Bangalore. This is. 2014, right? So I'm doing a little bit of time scale jump. So this is a time machine story. Uh, this is, and this picture signifies to me the next story, right? It's about uh, a couple 
trying to buy their next refrigerator or maybe a washing machine or something, right? And they're buying, they're going to a mall, they want to touch and feel it. She probably knows more than her husband what she needs to buy, but it's interesting and this is how India used to shop, right? And in a hyper growth and an emerging market back in 2014, two things happened, right? India suddenly went online on a mobile phone. Mobile first country, uh, people had never been online. The first time they went online was a mobile phone, right? Second of all, uh, as the middle class was emerging and growing, we realized that a lot of our customers are coming from towns where there is no mall. There is no place to go and check this out, right? So, so how are they buying? They, they have aspirations, they want to buy all these things, where do they go, right? And this is where the next story started, right? And part of the story, the challenge was very simple. We wanted to tap into this customer base. Flipkart was already sort of a leader in mobile phones. So we had already captured most of that market. But the next in line was this, right? TVs, refrigerators, washing machines, millions and millions of customers asking for it, right? Um, but we had a problem. Customers still wanted to go offline. So you see the couple out there? That's exactly how most people did it. The entire family would go to a shop and check every little detail and piece of that problem, product. Uh, so how do you do that online, right? And a lot of trust issues, right? Buying a low ticket item online is very different from buying a high ticket price. Driving a 55 inch TV, uh, the, it usually costed people multiple times of their monthly salaries to sort of afford something like this, right? So this is a huge decision purchase for, for customers, right? Uh, we had to look for first time buyers versus customers who are upgrading, right? So it was not only about, hey, I'm buying my first TV. We also realized that there are so many people who want to upgrade from the standard, oh man, I, I don't know if people remember, there used to be this really bad CRT TVs and then H LCD came in, then LED came in, then HDTV. Now I think it's Ultra HD or whatever, but the reality is that a lot of customers were upgrading. They wanted to now opt into this new experience, right? And so how do you solve that purchase behavior? Because that experience is very different. Uh, they had a lot of different questions, right? And so part of the challenge was addressing this, this capability as well. And lastly, the delivery experience, right? Uh, one thing that surprised me about Europe and, 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 and actually US as well is how streamlined delivery is in, in, in most of the advanced countries. Uh, not true, uh, not true in, in most emerging markets. Uh, Organized, uh, like organized, I think uh, delivery is only about 10 to 15% of actually all deliveries, right? So, which means that there is no DHL hitting all the PIN codes in India. So how do you, how do you now deliver a TV to someone's house without breaking it, right? Or, or how do you just show up on time? Right? So, so stuff like this happens, and these are huge challenges in the delivery experience uh, in emerging markets. Uh, please stop me if you have any questions. Uh, yeah, so how did we sort of think about the problem statement, right? We knew this is a huge opportunity, we knew these are challenges, and we knew to unlock that we have to do a lot of things, right? So first and foremost, I think we just started with the basics, right? Now, it's interesting we brought this up, analyze customer buying value chain, heavy words, but really what it is is just figure out what your customer wants, right? Um, I think people talk about it, but I think we, this sort of shows you how we don't, we didn't even just think about one problem statement, you have to take a step back and look at the entire value chain, right? So right from the, um, right from sort of figuring out, remember I told you about people have a TV or fridge already and they want to upgrade? How are you gonna 
price them. So what value do you assign to that TV that they have? And how are you going to remove that from their house, right? Because you can't show up with, when you bring an old wash, new washing machine, what happens to the old one? Where do you put it, right? There is no curbside to leave it. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? So we, we invented product exchange, which was built for mobile phones and scaled it for this. So yeah, and I'll, I'll show you some examples of how we did it later. Um, we had to solve for convenient delivery. Uh, when a TV shows up home, it's, it's a good idea if you're at home, right? Uh, you probably don't want this TV to be with your neighbor because they're gonna say, wait, why, what did I just accept? So a TV, fridge, washing machine are huge, are huge delivery items, right? Um, so we had to invent scheduling of delivery. So we had to figure out giving you a convenient way to choose a time slot that makes sense to you. Now, most people who have bought grocery, this is sort of common, right? This is simple. This is, but grocery is a commodity experience, right? You better have scheduled delivery. But we sort of recreated this for a different market, for a different use case, and that paid off spectacularly, right? Um, how do you schedule installation? So, unlike in the Western world, uh, India is not a do-it-yourself country. There's always a person we call to do something for us, right? And so installation is the same thing. If you bring a TV to someone's house, they don't know how to hook it up. They don't know what to do with it. They're like, okay, wait, so who sets it up? What, what happens? I need a different part because the, this wall is different, so many, many things happen, right? And so we had to figure out service, right? So how do you combine not just the selling, but the service part of the experience, right? And then lastly, we had to make sure that this, the brand warranty and the demos were covered by the brand themselves, right? Again, huge purchase, there are massive brands playing in this space, and we had to make sure that customers felt safe, right? They're buying from a big brand, and this is covered uh, if anything goes wrong, right? So if you see the value chain sort of thinks about end-to-end, end-to-end sort of customer experience, and this is what we did. So I'll, I'll show you a sneak peek. I mean, a lot of this was built on the, the pre-web days, but now sort of this is how it looks today on the mobile experience of Flipkart, right? Um, yeah, so this is someone is buying a refrigerator on a mobile phone, so this, this is interesting. But you can see how many offers are there, and, and right here below is something called get up to X rupees or euros on exchange. What it really means is we are now providing a value to a good that you have at home, right? So right off the bat, we can say, mm, good, oh, if I can exchange something, I actually get some money off, right? So we, we created a new experience for, for doing this, right? And yeah, you can see how that experience looks like and it works today, right? Um, we figured out how to do uh, scheduling as well. So while we provided uh, a standard experience where we gave them some slots, our customer research also told us that a lot of people were willing to change their schedules to be at home, right? So we provided them a default delivery experience, right? Hey, we'll show up at this time, but we also offered an option to change it, right? So sort of thinking of customer behaviors in very different ways uh, in the post-purchase. And there you can see uh, how our logistics sort of, complex logistics network optimization comes into play, right? How do you promise people those delivery slots is not an easy problem at scale, right? So. So these things actually happen today, and they are actually hugely successful. And so, yeah, from there were, is my next lessons, right? So what happens when, what happens when you build in a hypergrowth market? So off the bat, I, I, huge experience change from eBay to India with completely different customer behaviors, and we realize, well, customers' emerging markets are very different. These guys are seeing being online for the first time. 
They have very different ways of looking at consumer, uh, their experience. They compare it to offline a lot. And they want to recreate that experience. But we had to sort of reimagine what that would look like in the new world. Uh, we had to leverage local knowledge. Uh, we had the advantage of not being the Amazon in that space. And we realized that you need, and this is where local companies tend to win. They really get local customers, local behaviors local expectations, local language, and so we sort of leverage that a lot, right? Uh, logistics has a competitive advantage. We did our own logistics. We could not trust a DHL, show, sorry DHL, but could not trust them to show and deliver all this with, sort of within the time slots and with the manpower. We had to do it ourselves. So use logistics as a competitive advantage, right? Uh, which is actually huge in e-commerce. Um, and, and yeah, of course, need to address every part of the customer journey. You just cannot build a website on an app and expect it to work. You need to truly understand what the value chain looks like, truly understand every part of the equation, and then build many products and services around it. So just to, just to sort of build that one experience, we had to build so many different products. right? Uh, and yeah, uh, service and commerce mindset. Not just commerce, not just, hey, you bought an item. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow. This is. Do you like the item? Can we, how do we install it? Hey, what if something goes wrong? How can I fix it for you? So service is a huge part of commerce and you have to figure out how you combine uh, these two sort of offerings if you wanna succeed uh, in an emerging market. So yeah, good. And then Time Machine now goes to 2018, which is present day, <laughs> um, to Zalando's uh, partner program. Uh, so. Well, simply put, marketplaces is my passion. Zalando's marketplace is something we call Zalando Partner Program. Uh, this image is taken from our market state presentation. It's, it's a small glimpse of what we do. We do a lot, lot more under the hood, but really it tells you how partners can integrate with the Zalando uh, shop. Uh, I hear that Portugal, Zalando is not that well known in Portugal. Okay, we have to fix that. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so, what is the story here? Um, and I'll talk about partner program and what happens here, but the Zalando partner program, as you can imagine in a marketplace world, Zalando partners or our brands have full control over their selection, meaning they control the content, the images and the data they send us, they control the pricing, they control the stock, right? Which means, uh, well, good and bad, but really the reality is that brands are in full control. Uh, it's growing rapidly. Uh, we are super proud of how well it is scaling. Millions of articles, and, and when the market is scaling and the brands are coming in, millions of articles, and what we call articles is really product, right? the shirt, the sweater, whatever, millions of these articles are coming on site. Now remember, this is data which is third party, right? All of them, none of them have standardized data, so we have to figure out, how is this right for Zalando? How do we approve this article? Is this right? Is it wrong? What happens, right? Uh, and as you can imagine, every evolutionary uh, process as this partner program scales, highly manual process, right? Analyzing every article individually is just, it works in the beginning, it's failed spectacularly at scale, right? And this is one of the biggest challenges we have, right? And significantly high time to online. Now, I'm throwing these buzzwords here, but really what it means is, it takes, if it takes you too long to get all this data approved and figure out it's right for online, uh, what, you, what is happening is you're losing money, right? Essentially, every time it is stuck in a queue for someone to look at it and approve it, means that article is not being sold on Zalando. That means the customer is not buying it, which means the brand is losing money, right? And so this is the, the, the challenge that we are facing. This is actually my current problem. Uh, keeps me awake, right? 
So an example of data, what it looks like, and again, this is on the Zalando site. Because we're a fashion expert or a fashion destination company, the data we get is very different from what we'll get from other websites, right? Uh, there are terms that I learned before I was joined, and this is where my fashion knowledge sometimes fails me, is I did not know what feeding thickness cold fed means, right? But I'm getting to know that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of this, this information might look strange, but this information is useful. This is data that we have from partners that we can use in very interesting ways. But someone has to understand this data, right? Someone has to make sense of it. Uh, before I get there, how many jackets do you think, how many jacket categories do you think Zalando has or a fashion company should have? Thousand, yeah. I didn't even know there were so many types of jackets when, <laughs> and this is where my wife sort of gets, gets me sometimes, but. And so I thought blazers, capes, down jackets, this is it, right? Nope, there's more. There's leather jackets, the summer, light, outdoor, training, waistcoats, winter, bomber, and there are a few more. I didn't, have enough, I didn't want to have too many slides here, but this tells you a problem that we have is classification, right? How do you look at data and figure out it's a summer jacket or an outdoor jacket? Now for a human, this is incredibly easy, right? But it takes time. How, how are we going to scale it for millions of articles if this gets done manually, right? And the answer is it, it just doesn't work. And so just to make it harder, and this is my job harder, is we have guidelines. So it's not enough to just tell me so many jackets. Now they have to tell me what is a short coat and a long coat and a jacket. I did not know these existed, but pardon me, I'm sure the fashion consumer here knows all this, but this is the guideline that they have to look at. So it's not only about classifying the data in the right category, it's now figuring out just by looking at the picture, is this a short coat? Minimum length covers entire seat. Okay. Mid thigh, body is always longer than the sleeves. Uh, this is hard stuff. This is when you look at it from a human perspective, it's actually, you can pretty much make out some things. How do you tell a machine to do this? And this is where sort of the challenges came in. So the, I mean, this is some uh, internal tools, which don't look that great, but essentially this is how classification happens in Zenando. This is how we do search tags. And a lot of this tagging and classification is super critical because as a consumer, when you come on the site, it better be classified the right way. Because if you are looking in quotes and you see a long quote, you're gonna be, mm, does the fashion site know it's fashion, right? And that's, that's a problem, right? So what is the solution like, right? Uh, well, introducing machine learning into our article approval flow. Now, this is a very generic statement. Well, basically what it means is we had to figure out the entire article flow and figure out where can we apply these problem statements because it, humans don't scale for these problems, right? So we had to, A, introducing machine learning and tr truly understanding, look, we now have a problem we can't solve through humans. Um, we had to figure out how to get at accurate category classification and tags. All this stuff I showed before, Try doing it automatically, right? A human can tell and tag data well. Machine, it gets harder, right? So how do we get that data truly right? Because the consumer experience that you, all this stuff that happens in the back end impacts the front end for the consumer, right? You have to get this right, right? Um, we are starting to figure out how to combine multiple sources of data. So it's not only enough looking at the guideline and the image, you have to look at product data, you have to look at description, you have to look at titles, you have to look at so much other pieces of information and start to figure out what does this really mean. Right? Um, 
training data. So we had to run our training data over not only the partner program, but even all of Zalando's article databases, right? Because the, the guidelines are within those images that are approved in some way or the other. And you have to learn your way through this, right? Uh, and then, yeah, then just rinse and repeat. Just keep doing this over and over and over uh, until you figure it out, right? And this is the biggest challenge we have right now, uh, at least on the partner program. Uh, how do we do this better? And this is where my lessons are, right? Um, sort of machine learning for us is now no longer an option. It's no longer should I do it? Actually, if you're asking that question, actually it's already too late probably, but you have to now figure it out and start working on it. It's actually for us, it's a necessity. We can't, we can't solve these problems anymore manually. Machine learning for fashion is hard because it's based on judgment, like you saw, right? Seat, mid-thigh. Machines don't know all these things. How does that work? How is this fashion language going to, going to scale? And yeah, choose your data training, uh, the training data wisely. It's all about the data that you have, how clean it is, how, how, how well tagged it is, and how you're burning the learning data sets. Um, and we have, of course, learned the hard way like anyone else is, right? Uh, but yeah, we are well on our way to sort of make this, make this happen. Cool, done. Thank you. <laughs>